At Life Tree Community Church, we believe that we are the church. It's not a building, a program, or a tradition. A church is people. You and I are the church, and we have influence. We have responsibility, and we have the honor and privilege of being called God's church. Each of us is part of that church, and that includes you. Good morning. You guys get bonus points for showing up today on a snow day, so you guys should clap for yourselves today for being here. You guys are awesome. If this was Tennessee, everything would have been shut down. It would have been a state emergency. But we are Jersey strong here. Uh, We're going to read today from John chapter 6. Maybe a story you've heard of today. In in your pew there, there's Bibles everywhere. And you can turn to page 814, and that's what we're going to read today. I've got way too much stuff up here. I'm going to organize here for a second. And this morning is part two of our series called It's Not Mine. Will you say that with me? It's not mine. It's not mine. It's a good reference from uh, Nemo, Finding Nemo. Uh, if you haven't seen that, you can go look that up. It's great. But in my hand, before we start, so I'm going to preach uh, this message in a format of soap because we've been really emphasizing that uh, this month. And before we do that, I want to give a part two to our commercial today. Uh, I want to encourage you to do so. In my hand is a journal that I have, that I take everywhere with me. It is my soap journal. And 10 years ago, a friend of mine came to visit me in Tennessee and uh, was visiting family there. And we went out to eat at a Starbucks. I went to get some coffee at a Starbucks. And my friend shared with me that he had just been at a conference and he had heard a speaker talk about soap and how it changed, it was changing his life and convicting him. And it was just the thing I needed to hear in that moment. And we made a, a, an agreement that moment in Tennessee at the Starbucks in Kingsport, Tennessee. Hey, we'll keep each other accountable in that. And for a couple of years, I think we would check in with each other and say, hey, what are you reading today? What are you doing? And I can tell you that for the last 10 years, I have probably kept, uh, I don't know if I'm exactly, Carrie probably could help me, probably maybe 200 to 300 soaps a year. I do. I go through a journal in a half a year. It has been one of the most life-changing habits that I've formed in my life. Uh, of course, that, that friend was Pastor Dan Greco, and uh, he came. And so uh, it's been awesome. It's been something that's changed my life. It was one of the most pivotal conversations that I've had uh, because it's been something that's grown me uh, in, my, in my faith with the Lord. I went to Bible college. I have a fancy theology degree. But this, doing this every day, a habit for the last 10 years has grown me even more. And taught me a lot about the Lord. So I want to encourage you to, to, to do this, to make it a habit in your life. Uh, I've been able to just pass this on to other people. I got a call uh, a few months ago from a friend who is, uh, who's German. And he was with me in Tennessee for a while as a youth leader. He went back to Germany. And he said, hey, Pastor Dre, you'll never believe what I'm teaching German teenagers. I'm teaching them how to soap. I thought that was really cool. So why don't you guys clap for Pastor Dan today. This is a great thing. Make sure you so. We're going to preach today. We're going to do this format in soap to encourage you as well. John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. Some of you may have heard this story. We're going to read it together. It should, the verses should be on the screen. You can follow along either way. After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill, sat down with his disciples around him. 
It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. You guys see how many times they keep talking about the crowd. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? I like this verse. He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Some translations said if we worked for eight months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed these guys. Then Andrew, Simon Peter, Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? Jesus said, tell everyone to sit down. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed the loaves. Gave thanks to God, distributed them to the people. Sorry. Afterward, he did the same with the fish. And all they, and they all ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. When the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, Surely he is the prophet we've been expecting. When Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by themselves. Can we pray one more time today? I'm going to ask if you feel comfortable enough to just place your hand on your heart today, because we're going to pray for ourselves in these, just, these next few moments that God would really speak to us. Holy Spirit, we're so glad that you're here. We're glad that your presence is in the room. We just ask in these next few moments that you would speak to us about our lives, about what's in our hands, about how we can respond to you. I pray that you would give us courage. We declare what your word says, that we are good soil, and your word is good seed that goes into our heart. It produces a fruit, or a harvest in us that will last for a long time. We declare that today. Lord, we thank you that you've brought us here today. We're expecting you to do great things, miraculous things in our lives. And Lord, we thank you for all of our friends that are posting pictures of where they are, sunny, other places. We bless them today, and we also forgive them. In your name we pray. Amen. My whole feed, my whole social media feed is with people in warm places, but here we are. Thank you for being here with us. I... I want to talk to you today about this story. How many have heard this story before? You've heard this story yet? I want to talk to you about it, hopefully giving me a different perspective. Uh, this is a story about a kid who had a lunch, and he gave it to Jesus, and Jesus did miraculous things to it. And I want to talk to you today about your lunch. What do you have in your hand today that you can give to God? Uh, this series, It's Not Mine, we're focusing in on money. Uh, the realization that what God has given us is, doesn't just belong to us, it belongs to him, and that we can be good stewards of this. But to talk about money, uh, you can't just talk about money. You have to actually talk about the attitude of your heart. And so today, this, this is about money, but it's also about bigger things than just money. In the weeks to come, we're going to keep unfolding this, this idea of that it's not mine. So growing up, so there's, this is one of the things for me. Uh, I was thinking about this as I was preparing uh, this idea of lunch. This is one of the things that as an adult, I don't think about too much. But as a child, lunch or lunchtime or the lunch room ruled my world. Nowadays, me and Dan, we sometimes do these power lunches where we go and get like 
barley soup. Yeah, it's really, it is really good. Pray for your pastors. We are strong men. But as a kid, my lunch, going to school, was so important to me. Uh, I grew up in Youngstown, Ohio. Uh, it's a very urban area. And so there was a little bit of a class system when it came to the lunch table. I don't know if you can relate to this. You can relate to your own school experience. For me, it was a little bit different. You had people in the lunchroom who were buyers, and you had people like me who were bringers. And I was a brown paper bag lunch bringer every day. You also had people that brought their lunch. There you go. That's up there for us. Who brought their lunch, but they brought them in like these fancy bags, nylon bags or whatever it was. I was not that fancy. I had a paper bag lunch, meaning if you put something wet in it at any time, that whole thing, the bottom could just fall out at any time. You've never quite lived and been strong enough until you've had to handle that. Thank you. Thanks for laughing a little bit. So I, my lunch was such an important part of my life. It's not that important to me now, but at that time for years, especially in elementary school and middle school, where my lunch was, because I lived where I lived, at any point, someone could steal my lunch. And so, so much of my day was keeping track of where my lunch was. Was it in my book bag? Was it in my locker? So much of my day, I don't even know how I passed school because I was constantly thinking about where my lunch was. This is a true story. And so, you would get to the lunch table, and if you had to leave the lunch table, you'd have to pick the one friend who you could trust to not touch your lunch don't touch my lunch. Make sure no one touches my lunch. Holding on to the lunch. Lunch, the brown paper bag, lunch, ruled my life for a long time. True story, a couple years ago, we were in Tennessee. Our kids were getting ready for school, and we were, me and Carrie are sitting at the kitchen table. Our kids are packing their lunches. Oh, by the way, let me step back a little bit. In my school, there's a little bit of class system of what you brought in your lunch. For me, uh, it was like a ham and cheese sandwich, uh, a bag of chips, a little Debbie snack cake. We didn't have tasty cakes for us from, okay? Maybe like an applesauce or an apple, okay? That was pretty good. But in my school, the rich kids, they brought stuff like fruit roll-ups. True story. If, if you had a fruit roll-up in your lunch, as in my, in my school, you were like a rich kid. If you had fruit gushers, Anybody know those? Yeah. You were a rich kid. I'd never had that in my lunch growing up. And I don't think any of those things had to do anything with fruit, by the way. But so back to my story. A couple years ago, I was packed. We were we were in our kitchen. Our kids were packing their lunches. And I had this moment of revelation where I looked over and all three of my kids had these very fancy canvas froofy bags from like Land's End with monograms that matched their backpacks, and I saw my kids putting fruit roll-ups in their lunch. This is a true story. I turned to Carrie, and I said, I think we're making our kids soft. I think we're raising them soft. They were going to a private Christian school, one of the best in the state, and their bags match. They have monograms. They have their name on it. I had a paper bag. And so I start to go into this whole rant about we need to buy them paper bags. And they need to really, they can't start better than me. They have to, they, they can't start above me. They have to come from where I'm from. I started from the bottom. Now I'm here. 
And so this is a true story. And Carrie just looked at me in the way that she can look at me blankly, stared at me and said, what are you talking about? And then turned to the kids and said, there's some fruit gushers in the cabinet. True story. True story. I grew up with a brown paper bag kind of lunch. That's how I grew up. This story is about a young boy who essentially had the same kind of lunch, brown paper bag lunch, where I spent so many times growing up for years worrying about where my lunch was, clutching it, holding on to it tightly. I'd like to tell you today that I've, I've graduated from that kind of thinking, but I've just traded my paper bag lunch for other things in my life. Too often, as an adult, I'm clutching on to things. I'm holding them tightly out of fear, out of thinking I know better, instead of keeping my hands open to God. This is a story about a boy who had a lunch who, instead of clutching tightly to that, he decided that he was going to open his hands and let God do something with it. Give it to him. I want to talk to you a little bit about who he is, because I think who he is in the story is really who we are. He's there for us. He put it in Jesus' hands without hesitation, without convincing, and we are supposed to learn from him. He's there to inspire us. He's there to encourage us, but he's also there to convict us today. I hope that you'll look at the story maybe a little bit different this morning. He's there to remind us that what God has put in our hands, whether it's money, whether it's any other thing in life, whether, whatever he's blessed us with, that we are to re- be reminded today that it's not mine. It belongs to him. And not only that, that when we open up our hands, miracles can happen. It is the beginning of miracles. So we're doing this soap kind of format. And so the scripture I want us to focus on today is out of this passage is John 6, uh, verse 9. It says this. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? Here's some observations that I, I found in this passage. Just a couple of things I want to point out to you. It's amazing that in this passage, one of the things I noticed that to Jesus and when Jesus is around, the miraculous is kind of a normal thing. Wherever he is, the miraculous is normal. It said that people were following Jesus because of the miracles. Wherever he went, Jesus brought miracles. There Actually, with these people that were following him, there is an expectation of the miraculous. Hey, Jesus is here. Something awesome is going to happen. I'm going to lean in here. I'm going to be here just to see what will happen. Something to notice. I think another thing to notice is that Jesus, who is, who is the teacher and all these people are following him, he takes a moment and stops and says, hey, these people, they need to eat. And it's a reminder to me that Jesus cares about all the areas of our lives, even the ones we might not think he's thinking about. He cares about every detail today. Do you guys agree with that? Have you found that to be true? He cares about some of the things. We think he only cares about the big things, but Jesus cares about all the small details of our life today. He cares if you're eating or not today. Here's what the disciples do. These guys who are these followers of Jesus, they make a great suggestion. They say, Jesus, we should just send these people away. Jesus said, no, that's not going to work because he's too good of a shepherd to do that. And I love this because 
nothing about this situation Jesus is not surprised about. He knew the number of the crowd that day. You know, the Bible says that there were 5,000. We, we've used 5,000. The Bible says there was 5,000 men there. And scholars have spent a lot of years trying to decide how many people were actually there. Because in that time, they didn't count women or children, which is really stupid. Okay? Because <laughs> they count a lot. Some scholars believe that that crowd that day can have been upwards from anywhere from 7,000 to 20,000 people that day in the crowd. Jesus is not surprised at all. It says that he asked Philip, hey, what are we going to do? But he was just doing it to test Philip because he knew what was going to happen. But I love it. Here's another observation is the fact that Jesus alone just turns to Philip and invites Philip to participate in this. He invite God invites us. It's a, it's a reminder. It's an observation. It's a reminder to us that this amazing God who's created everything is a God that desires to partner with us here on the earth. I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to me. If I was God, I would not partner with me. I would not partner with some of you. I won't tell you. No, I'm just kidding. I, God, This is how God works. He loves to use us to bring his kingdom to this earth. And it's a partnership. I want to remind you today, something I noticed today, he turns to Philip. You know why he turned to Philip? Scholars believe that because... Philip was from that area. He knew the area well. It's Philip's hometown. He says, Philip, how can we get bread around here? How can we do this? Philip was familiar, and God is still inviting him in the midst of this hometown, a situation that he knew. Jesus himself is saying, Philip, why don't you help me with this? Philip begins to just say, hey, this is such an impossible situation. He he begins to do the math. He begins to write real quickly. Hey, we can't. If we worked eight Months, there's no way that we could do this. I want to say this today, and if you're taking notes, this is what I want you to walk away with today more than anything, probably this line. Impossibilities are solved by miracles. And miracles start with open hands. Impossibilities are solved by miracles, and miracles start by open hands. A miracle happens here because a boy steps out from the crowd and he says, here you go. Here's my lunch. Here's my brown paper bag lunch. In Jesus' hands, this lunch becomes a feast. An impossible situation quickly turns to a miraculous situation. It's Mark Batterson that says this about this passage. He says, the kingdom of God isn't always logic and facts. It's not always what you can see and feel. The kingdom is about faith. So in terms of addition, five loaves, two fish equals seven. But if you add God into the equation, into that equation of five plus two equals seven, when you give what you have to God, he multiplies it so that five plus two equals 5,000 or maybe 20,000. Not only does God multiply the meal so that it feeds 5,000, they actually end up with more leftovers than they had food to begin with. So that only works in God's economy. The 12 baskets of remainders means that the most accurate equation is 5 plus 2 equals 5,000 with a remainder of 12. 
he says, he lastly says this, if you put what little you have in your hand into the hand of God, it won't just add up. God will make it multiply. Everyone say multiply. Come on, say multiply. God will make it multiply. You know what another observation I have with this passage always? Who brought the empty baskets? Who brought the empty baskets? I've always wondered, like, who brought the baskets? And I think, I think that maybe a key to this is this, is that there, were, there was such expectation that when Jesus around, miracles would happen. I think people just brought baskets thinking that, hey, God might do something here. Somebody brought 12, somebody, some amount of people brought 12 empty baskets. And I like to think in my story that a young boy went home with one of those baskets back to a mom. doesn't say it in the Bible, but I, li- I like to think that story. You know, one day we'll get to go to heaven. And again, this is not theologically sound, and your pastor can correct this later when he comes up to pray. <laughs> There's a lot of things I can say just because I'm the youth pastor, so... But I'd like to think that in heaven, there is a heavenly red box. And that one day we'll get to watch some of these things happen as they happened. And we'll get to know these people. We'll get to see these people. Oh, my gosh, you're the boy. Tell, tell me the story. Let's sit down. Tell me the story. I would like to know how his day ended. I believe in this story. He went home with one of those baskets and got to go home and say, Mom, remember the lunch you packed me? Here's a basket of food to feed us. That's how God works. When we walk in this life with open hands, God can do some amazing things. Those are some observations. Application. What do we do about this? What does it mean to us? I think there's a few things. We don't know his name. We don't know where he comes from, who his parents are. All we know that he volunteered what he had in his hands. Start to think about this story a little bit. Did, did 5,000, 7,000, 20,000 people show up that day without a lunch? Probably not. I think there was only one boy who stepped forward and said, you can have my lunch. And he doesn't have a name. He doesn't have a face. We don't know his pedigree. It is a reminder to us. It does not matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what's in your bank account. It doesn't matter what your reputation is. If you just say to God, God, you can have what's in my hands. He will use you. He will use your life to do the miraculous. I'm so glad he doesn't have a name. We'd have a bunch of kids named after that guy. <laughs> okay, that's, that's what we do in the church. We do that kind of thing, okay? And we, we would, there would be some kind of prayer formula in there if we knew all the right steps. All we know is that a kid came and he just gave a lunch. His lunch, scholars study this out, the barley loaves and the fish, was essentially the lunch of somebody that was poor. He didn't have a lot. Uh, I've talked about my brown paper bag lunch. One of the days that I regretted often in getting my lunch was that when I would open up my lunch and there would be a peanut butter and jelly sandwich in there because that was a reminder to me that my parents were getting paid in a couple days. (laughs) Payday was on its way, and we were having peanut butter and jelly. This guy has a lunch that's not a lot, It's a peanut butter and jelly, brown paper bag kind of lunch. And yet God uses it to change thousands of lives on that day. If if God can use this guy, you know, the Bible says that he, the word that he uses in the Greek is that he is a little boy. 
It's not a teenager. It's, it's very strong verbiage that he's just a little guy who came forward. There's probably some announcement that was made. Hey, does anybody have any food? We're trying to, we're trying to feed people. And this little guy comes up and says, here you go. Take what's in my hand. If he can do it, we can do it. That's what I'm reminded of today. He says, it's not mine. Will you guys say that with me? It's not mine. I wonder how many people had lunch that day but didn't volunteer it. He came out from the crowd. And there, there's something to be said in that moment. There's something to be said about that. Following Jesus, it reminds me that we can be part of the crowd. And it's okay to be part of the crowd. It's okay to be just following Jesus. But there is a deeper level than just being part of the crowd. And that's when we become partners with Jesus. And that's what he did in that moment. He stepped forward and said, out of the crowd, I want to partner with you, Jesus. I want to do this. Here is what's in my hand. So I want to ask you today, what's in your hands? We're talking about money. God has placed money in your hands. Are you tithing today? But it's more than just money. God's placed influence in your life. How about your children? How about your relationships? Whatever God has put in your hands, are you willing to say, God, it belongs to you. You gave it to me. It is not mine. It is yours. I'm willing to trust you with this. I'm willing to give it to you and watch what he does. In your hand, in my hand, those things are just an ordinary brown paper bag lunch. But when we give them to Jesus, whether it's money, whether it's relationships, whether it's our talents, our strengths, our weaknesses, whatever it is, they become a feast with leftovers. Come on, you should be excited about that. That's pretty amazing. That's a good trade-off that we can give God peanut butter and jelly, and he can give us a feast instead. When we trust God with what's in our hands, he allows us to have a front row seat to the miracle. We get to have a partnership with the miraculous, a partnership with God. Remember what I said earlier, impossibilities are solved by miracles, and miracles start with open hands. I want to close today by just sharing a testimony, sharing a story from my own life, me and Carrie's life, about how God did this very thing. I've got to give you a little bit of a backstory. Uh, Carrie and I got married uh, right after I graduated college. Uh, for some reason, my mom for years said, do not get married until you graduate college. She would say this to me over and over again. Do not get married. Some moms are shaking their heads right now, so it must be a mom thing. Um, Do not get married until you graduate college. I finished college on a Thursday. I got married on Saturday. (laughs) True story. And so at the time, Carrie and I were both working for our college. And uh, Carrie was working for the vice president, and I was doing food services. (laughs) So tell you about our talent levels there. (laughs) And... uh, but we were, also, we were also on staff at a church. We were, we were traveling. We were a small church plant that had just started. We had uh, started growing a youth ministry, and we're working there for a year while we were dating. We got married, and um, we were traveling about an hour, a couple times a week, uh, to go be part of this uh, church fellowship. So as one day after we were married, I had this revelation. It really felt like it was from God. I had seen a lot of our friends who had graduated from our Bible college who had these amazing callings and giftings and hopes and dreams, and yet somehow they ended up just staying in the college town and not doing what they were supposed to. And I felt one day like God spoke to me and said, you have to get out of this town. If you do not get out of this town, 
you will not be what I'm calling you to be. Pretty strong words. I went to Carrie and said, Carrie, I think, I think, we, need to, I think we need to move. I think we like, need to move like right now. And uh, just being just the great wife that she is, she said, okay, God spoke to you, let's do it. And uh, so we went through the process of that, of not renewing a lease and getting another lease. And we moved to the town of where we were pastoring at. And Carrie was still driving. Now, now instead of driving to church an hour, Carrie was driving every day an hour to work. And I took a job with somebody in the church, and I was driving into New Jersey uh, to work. So we made this big faith step in our lives. God had spoke. I'm the man of God. I'm the man of the house. I, we had moved. But as soon as we made that move, everything that we had accounted for began to fall apart. Uh, Carrie, this... In a, we were so excited. Carrie got pregnant with Claire, which was so exciting for us. Um, but with that pregnancy came debilitating migraines um, that Carrie really couldn't, like, move. And we tried, I think she tried navigating that for weeks and months. And through doctors and through her employers, they decided, we probably should go on short-term disability because this is too much for you. And so... Right away, we had that salary cut in half, but because of all the red tape and all the paperwork, uh, we did not get her salary for like four months, three or four months after we had moved. And so here we are, we're in this new town uh, with a higher rent. I had I heard God spoke to me, and as soon as we get to this new place, things start to change. We're three to four months without Carrie's salary. I had taken a job with somebody at the church uh, a family member of the pastor and they had promised a certain salary amount a certain amount of hours and when I actually start, showed up on day one for the work the salary and the hours were not what they promised yeah feel bad for me okay they're good people but it was just it was a weird situation and so immediately what we had planned for the money part of that was hard fast forward a couple of weeks a couple of months we are sitting in church on a Sunday morning. And one of the principles that we have lived by in life, because we had seen our parents do it, is we believe in tithing. We believe in giving 10% of our salary to God. It, it is a way for us to say to God, we trust you with our finances. And so we're there in, in the pews in church, and Carrie has a check in her hand, and she leans over to me and she says, this is our tithe. If we put this in the offering... We're not going to eat this week. Things had just caught up to us. We hadn't told anybody. We were very prideful, trying to make it on our own, not telling anybody in our church community, definitely not telling our parents uh, that what was going on financially. And Carrie said to me, she said, uh, I think that we should just trust God and put it in the offering. And uh, I'd like to think about the story. If she would have reframed it a different way <laughs> other than that, I'd have like, ah, let's just wait. But because she framed it that way, I was like, yeah, yeah, we should trust God. We should trust God. And so we prayed together. I think we prayed a quick prayer. God, we trust you. We believe in you. We believe in what your word says about tithing. We put it in the offering. We felt very full of faith that day. But we literally did not have food in our house because of things were so bad financially for us uh, because of what was going on. And we fast forward a day later, 30 hours later, I come home from work. And we're sitting, I'm sitting on the couch. I can remember this like it was yesterday. Sitting on the couch. Carrie, for some reason, is, is sitting on the floor right beneath me. She's rubbing her stomach. And I'm looking at her. 
feeling like an absolute failure. Complete failure. Here I am, husband, new father. Yesterday I felt full of faith. Today I felt shame and was regretting what, what we had decided. I'm thinking, how are we going to eat? How, this is so stupid. I'm thinking of all the things. Am I going to call my mom and dad? Am I going to, should I tell the pastor of the church? And just feeling like a complete miserable failure. I had heard from God. My wife followed me. And everything literally went to hell in that moment. As I'm, we're sitting there, we're watching. It's like 5.30, 6 o'clock because we're watching my favorite show, PTI, ESPN. I can remember that being on. We hear our buzzer ring. And I look out the window. I could see where whoever was ringing it. And I can see two ladies from our church that we were at. And uh, in that moment, that was the last people I wanted to see, by the way. <laughs> I did not want to be a pastor in that moment. I wanted to feel bad for myself and whine and complain and sulk. And I, we, so I said, Carrie said, who is it? And I said, it's this, and it's this lady and this lady. I said, what are they doing here? Go to answer the door. And they come in. I'm feeling bad for myself. My wife is probably hungry. Claire's probably hungry. They're full of joy. They come into their house. They come into our house and say, "Hey, we're sorry to barge in, but we were we were grocery shopping together." And while we were grocery shopping in different aisles, God spoke to each of us and said, "Buy groceries for Andre and Carrie." We said, "Okay." So we brought you guys some groceries. And I hope that's okay. We don't want to offend you. We don't even know if you need it. But we felt like we were supposed to. And we, you know, we didn't even say in that moment, oh, yeah, we need it. We said, oh, thank you. That's really nice. Knowing that our cupboards were literally bare. And they began to proceed for the next five to ten minutes to bring in, I hope I'm not exaggerating, 30 to 40 brown paper bag, grocery bags. And they said, hey, by the way, we, on the way from the grocery store, and our whole kitchen and countertops are full of groceries all of a sudden. And I said, by the way, on our way from the grocery store, we, we stopped at this really fancy butcher shop. And we decided to get you all kinds of, it just felt like we were supposed to get you like steaks and pork chops and chicken breasts. And so there was one bag full of like T-bones and New York strips and like stuffed pork chops and all kinds of crazy things. It was like literally hundreds of dollars just in one bag. And, and by the way, we just felt like we were supposed to give you a couple hundred dollars in gift cards for the grocery store as well. And we couldn't believe it. And part of why we couldn't believe it, A, because, or I should say, I was stupid, feeling bad for myself. But these ladies were not people in the church you would think that would do this. One, one of these women had just lost her husband just a few years ago, was a widow, and was struggling to make ends meet. Another lady, they didn't have a lot of money. And they probably spent $1,000, maybe more in groceries. And they just said, we, we just felt like God spoke to us, and so we hope you have a great day. And they left as quick as they came. And there we were, standing in our kitchen, full of grocery bags. I can remember this scene, too. Looking at Carrie, holding her stomach, just weeping. Groceries everywhere. Just in awe of the faithfulness of a heavenly father who could see that if we just, it was a miracle to us that we gave what we had. And the next day, he came through for us. We had so much groceries. 
We spent the next hour, by the way, in silence because we couldn't speak, filling our cupboards. They were overflowing. We had so much that we had a kitchen table full of groceries we had nowhere to put. And we, we, we were forced to, in a good way, to bless two other families in our church with those groceries. God is faithful today. That solidified a moment in our life, in our marriage, that we'll never forget. That if we trust Him with what's in our hands, He can do more than I can do with what's in my hands. Every instinct in me wanted to say, let's hold on to that couple hundred dollars. And let me tr- let's try to make things work and we'll make it up later. But giving that tithe that day, God came through in such a great way that it became a miracle. We had leftovers. We had to bless somebody else. I'm amazed by that. It became such a solidifying point for us. Years later, when Carrie's mom passed away, we received some money. And we, it was a pretty great amount of money. And we were able to pay off some bills and pay off some things. And because in that moment, with the groceries, we learned to hold open our hands about money. When that money came into our lives, for days I felt like God speaking to me that we needed to give a significant amount to somebody in my life who was a mentor. And for two, two three days, I kind of ignored it, and I came to Carrie. I said, Carrie, I think we're supposed to give this money to such and such. And she said, was it this amount? I said, yeah. We wrote the check and sent it the next day. Because when you trust God with open hands, you know that it's not mine, and it belongs to him. I want to pray today. I want to pray some very specific things today for you. There might be some of you here today that you've been on the fence when it comes to your money, comes to trusting God with your money, maybe trusting God with that principle of tithing. I think in a few weeks we're really going to get into that and talk about that some more. But I want to give you permission today to just take my testimony you know a testimony in the hebrew really means you know god's people would give testimonies like i just gave to you because it would give them permission to say god do it again in my life so if you're here today you've got a financial need you're struggling with it or maybe you've just never really thought of that god god you've given me these resources i should give it to you this is for you today might not make sense it might seem foolish But sometimes that's what faith looks like. Faith sometimes is taking that kind of risk. God, I'm going to give you this. And I also want to pray for you today. I believe, and I prayed for this moment right here all week. I believe that God wants to speak to some of you in this room to be a blessing to somebody else in your life this week. I prayed. I prayed very specifically that when we go to this prayer time, that God would actually show you some people in your life, that you can can be the two ladies in our story who can make a difference in someone else's life. You may not even know it. There's somebody at your work. There's somebody in your neighborhood. There's somebody maybe even in this church that need your open hands, need what you have to give. And I'm believing that God's going to reveal that to you today as we pray. And the last one, and this is kind of a little bit talking about money, but I felt very specifically last night at 1130, I felt like God spoke this to me. I believe that there's some moms in this room that you've been praying for your children. You've been really worried about your children. You've been holding it tightly. And I feel like the Holy Spirit would like me to tell you today, if you will just trust God with your children, He's going to do miracles in their lives. 
I really felt, felt specifically that there's some moms that are praying for their sons today in this room. Maybe older sons, maybe younger sons. But God is encouraging you today to just give him your children. Pray, say, God, I release it. I'm not going to try to control things. I'm not going to try to act from a place of fear. I'm going to trust God with my children today. That's you today. Just lean into that. I believe God's going to speak to you. Let's pray today. Nick's going to, in just a moment after we're done praying, he's going to sing a song called Open Hands. And you're going to have, a, you have an ability just in these next four or five minutes to just talk with God about what's in your hands. Your money, your influence, your children, your relationships, your strengths, your leadership, whatever it is. I'm, I'm encouraging you today to just give it to him. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you in this place. We're so thankful for the story of a boy who stepped forward from a crowd and said, here's my lunch. Lord, we're coming in this place today with what's in our hands. It may not be much. It may be like a peanut butter sandwich to us. But we're coming to you with open hands to say, God, it belongs to you. It's not ours. We're trusting you, Lord. What a privilege that the God of the universe wants to partner with us to bring the miraculous to this earth. Lord, I pray that you'll give us opportunities to do that. I pray for those in this room that are maybe on the fence when it comes to finances and money and tithing and trusting God with those things. I pray today that you would speak clearly, that you would give them courage, that you would allow this word to come deep inside of their hearts and that you would create some testimonies, just like you did for my family. That when we trusted you with open hands with our finances, that you came through in ways that we could never imagine. You created a feast, Lord. You took a brown paper bag kind of lunch and turned it into 40 brown paper grocery bags. You created a feast with leftovers, Lord. I pray that you would do that for every family in this room, Lord. I pray for those of us, Lord, I'm believing right now in this moment as we pray that you would begin to speak and show us people in our lives that we can be a blessing to that we can help partner with you, God, to bring miracles into their lives, Lord. It's not ours. What you've given us is not ours. It's not mine. It belongs to you. And I pray, Lord, for the moms here that have been burdened about their children. I pray that you would give them courage to trust you in this moment, to believe in you, that our children are better in your hands than they are in ours. Trust in you today to do the miraculous. In your name we pray. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were encouraged by this message. For more information about Life Tree, please check us out online at lifetreecc.com.